Welcome to Tardisian Files, a show dedicated to reviewing and discussing aspects of one of the most loved and longest-running British sci-fi shows. This podcast is a fan-led series where we pull together sources from all across Doctor Who's extended media, including the show itself, comics, audio stories, and novels. In the last Doctor What If, we discussed how the absence of Donna Noble would have impacted the storyline of Silence in the Library. And so, following on from that, we will be discussing how the second half of this two-parter would be affected if the Doctor hadn't met Donna Noble for a second time. For those who are wondering why the voiceover sounds a little robotic, it's because at the time of recording this I am currently knocked out with some sort of megacold virus and am unable to speak. Full sentences without wheezing like someone about to turn into a gas mask zombie. Without further ado, let's get on with the scenario. Images flash in the Doctor's mind, planet-sized libraries, skeletons inside spacesuits walking towards him, terrible darkness, a beautiful woman with a spill of long curly hair. He's shaken out of his reverie by a nearby knocking sound. The first part we need to consider in this alternate scenario is how the Doctor and the rest of the Lux expedition are integrated into the library's data core. Simulation World Charlotte, having been around 10 to 11 years old when her physical body perished, only has a childish understanding of what adults find comforting. Additionally as part of her saved programming she tries to create new life stories for each of the people she saved to the data core, suppressing their old memories. With this in mind, she likely would have tried to put the doctor into a situation that she'd think that a clever man like him would find calming. Considering that the library data core simulation appears to be that of a suburban English town, I say, let's make the doctor a primary school teacher. The doctor wakes up and sees that he is sitting in a staff room, wearing an old jumper, smart trousers, and a lanyard. He inspects it closely and sees that it says, Mr. Smith, science teacher. He looks up and sees a young woman with dark skin and short brown hair standing in front of him. When she speaks, she has an American accent. Anita. A brief memory pops into his head and he instantly recognizes her as his teaching assistant. She informs him that the class is about to come in from break time and asks if he's planned the practical for today. After a moment, a memory pops into the doctor's head. It feels real. But almost too realistic. He remembers speaking to the headmaster, Mr. Lux, and trying to convince him that the elephant's toothpaste experiment is perfectly safe for the year sixes. Eventually, the irritating little man agreed. Dr. Smith gets up from his chair in the staff room and follows Anita out of the door. And within seconds, they find themselves standing in a classroom with tiny desks and chairs, and around 30 boys and girls all huddling around the desk in small-sized safety goggles. Mr. Smith is now leaning over a tall flask, about to add the last reagent to the mix. The class all jumps back as, to their delight, the mixture quickly foams up and spills out of the flask-like. Toothpaste. Dr. Smith looks at the children's smiling faces. He cannot help but feel like there's something off about the children. Something that feels like it should be so obvious that he cannot quite place. 
One girl, a girl with brown eyes and brown hair says to the doctor ominously, the doctor has been fully uploaded, and suddenly Dr. Smith finds himself in the playground. It's home time and the parents are picking up their children. The doctor doesn't notice anything odd about the parents like he does with the children. They all seem normal enough. One parent, a man with dark hair and dark skin, comes up to Dr. Smith to ask about his child's progress. The doctor suddenly has a flashing image in his mind of this man in a spacesuit running through. A very dark library. He snaps out of it briefly to talk to the man, Mr. Dave Other. They are interrupted by another parent, a woman with curly blonde hair. She introduces herself as MS. Pond and she is, once again, late to pick up her child from school. Ms. Pond remarks how she's always getting timings wrong. Dr. Smith cannot help but watch Ms. Pond with some fascination. There is something about her that just doesn't make any sense. Suddenly, Dr. Smith finds himself back in his classroom, with Anita, tidying up from the day's lessons and stacking up books to take home for marking. Dr. Smith asks Anita, as they are tidying if she's been having any strange feelings of deja vu or uneasiness. Anita simply laughs and says it sounds like something to discuss with Dr. Moon. Dr. Smith looks at her, confused, and asks who she means. Anita repeats herself, you know, Dr. Moon. Suddenly, Dr. Smith finds himself in a comfortably furnished office. In front of him, sits a tall man with a smile and a warm demeanor. So, Dr. Smith, he says calmly, tell me what is troubling you today. Before he can stop himself, the doctor erupts into questions, how did he get here? How did he escape the library? And why is his head full of fake memories of him being a primary school science teacher, without breaking his calm demeanor? Dr. Moon replies, well that's easy, he gestures for the doctor to sit opposite him, which he does. You were saved, given a new identity with new memories to fit into the narrative of Cal's world. The acronym Cal stirs other memories in the doctor, he remembers the data core at the core of the library, he remembers the message, 4022 people saved, no survivors. Realization dawns on the doctor. He and the other surviving Lux expedition members are inside the data core. He presses Dr. Moon with more questions. He still doesn't understand. Why were they pulled into the data core when they were heading for the TARDIS? Again, Dr. Moon calmly replies. Because the shadows are moving again, he says. Before the doctor can ask more questions, Dr. Moon says, seemingly to no one. Integration of living file D.W.1.522 proving to be difficult. Commence memory dampeners, the room they're standing in is filled with bright white light. Dr. Smith wakes up in his own bed, at home. He checks the alarm clock. 9.07 a.m. on Saturday morning. He tries to recall last night and has vague memories of driving home from the school, making a cup of tea and reading his new book, The Time Traveler's Wife. He looks through his bedroom door at the pile of marking he left on his desk in the other room across the landing. He groans, wishing it were all already done. Dr. Smith then finds himself sitting at his desk, closing the last book in the pile. He sits back, letting out a sigh of relief. He checks the clock and sees that it's now 2.19pm, he's shocked. It seemed like no time had passed at all. He stands, about to make himself lunch, when he hears the letterbox go, someone's just posted something at the door. He goes to the corridor and sees a folded note which says the following, Doctor. The world is wrong. I know you sense it too. 
Come to the old bookshop tomorrow after church. No name signed. Dr. Smith quickly opens the front door to see if the poster is still there, but whoever left the note is gone. Dr. Smith then finds himself standing by his bedroom window, about to go to sleep. Suddenly, out on the street, he sees a mysterious figure, dressed in a long black Edwardian dress. Her whole face is covered by a black veil. Though he cannot make out her features under the veil, the mere sight of her sends shivers down his spine. Suddenly, Dr. Smith finds himself walking out of church, with a crowd of adults. Through the crowd, someone makes their way to him, Ms. Pond. She looks at him, looking as though she has worked herself up into a state, and asks Mr. Smith if he's been having strange daydreams, that felt more like memories. Perplexed by her question, he says that he has been, and both Dr. Smith and Ms. Pond reveal that the other was in their memories. A little way down the road, a voice calls their names. They turn and see the trail of a black dress, turning the corner. Dr. Smith tells Ms. Pond to follow him, and they both run after the figure, following her to the old bookshop, just as the note had said. The inside of the bookshop looks antiquated, wooden-paneled walls, lined from top to bottom with all sorts of books, new, old, leather-bound, paperbacks, everything. Behind a counter, stands the veiled woman, who thanks them both for coming. Dr. Smith and Ms. Pond recognize her voice in another one of their flashbacks. It's Ms. Evangelista. Ms. Pond asks her how she can be here, when she is dead, having been killed by the Vashta Narada. The woman merely says that she is what is left of Ms. Evangelista, she pushes two books towards them, a weathered blue journal for Ms. Pond and a vintage leather-bound notebook for Dr. Smith. Ms. Evangelista tells them both to read their journals. They do so and as they read, their memories start to come back to them both more vividly. The doctor remembers, as everything comes flooding back. He remembers the library, the Vashta Narada, he remembers getting cornered by the swarm and trying to teleport everyone back to the Tardis. And above all, he remembers the Lux Expedition members. He remembers that Ms. Pond is actually River Song. River looks at the doctor with the same realization on her face. To the doctor's surprise, she hugs him tightly, before seemingly remembering something and letting him go. They turn back to Miss Evangelista who beckons for them to follow her further into the shop. There's still much they don't know. They follow her up a flight of stairs to the balcony overlooking the ground floor. There, Miss Evangelista picks up chalk and walks over to a chalkboard, illustrating as she explains, they are all inside the library's data core, which saved them when they teleported as part of a hardwired fail-safe program which is built into the data core's current operating mode. Miss Evangelista explains that she was merely a data ghost of brainwaves, and removes her veil to show that her face is distorted as her image of self was corrupted by script errors during her upload. However, those same errors boosted her IQ which gave her self-awareness in this virtual reality. She also explains that this simulation is a dream, hence why time moves faster here, one has to simply point and think and it will happen. Finally Miss Evangelista explains that Dr. Moon, is a virus checker AI who rewrites their memories whenever they become self-aware in order to keep them calm. The doctor asks why the data core won't just let them leave. Miss Evangelista takes out a brown paper folder from a nearby bureau. She opens it and shows them the contents. Inside the folder is a holographic screen, showing them the footage of what happened the day the Vashta Narada hatched, they ate the head librarian who was the one who left the two warning messages. Before being devoured. 
The data core then went into overdrive, teleporting everyone at once, however experienced script errors since there wasn't a single safe place in the library to regroup everyone as the Vashta Narada had completely overrun the planet. The Doctor and River realize that this is why the data core saved everyone to the hard drive since it wasn't able to evacuate them safely. What do the Doctor and River do now? They cannot stay in the data core, but they have no way to confront the Vashta Narada from the safety of the virtual world. They decide that they need to wake up Mr. Lux, he's the one who knows the most about the data core. Suddenly, the two find themselves in Mr. Lux's office at school he's speaking as though they're discussing River's, child's, progress at school. Realizing they need to wake him up they begin telling him about the library, the Vashta Narada, and the data core. When Lux's memories start to surface, the doctor jump starts his memory by showing him the school's yearbook. Each student is the same boy and the same girl over and over again. The telltale signs of a simulated world now fully awake, they tell Mr. Lux that they need to get out of the data core, that the others from the expedition, the 4022 readers from 100 years ago and Miss Evangelista's data ghost are all here with them and they need to find a way to defeat the Vashta Narada. Mr. Lux says that they need to find the avatar of Cal. After some probing, Lux relents and explains that the data cone's central node was in fact a sentient mind, that of his deceased aunt, youngest daughter of his grandfather, Charlotte Abigail Lux and that Dr. Moon was her true maintainer, her welfare guardian of sorts. Lux explains that Cal's gone into sleep mode and forgotten her true nature. The doctor realizes this is the result of having 4,022 living minds inside her own. Charlotte has put them in her dreams to keep them safe, but is now overwhelmed by them all. River shows them the school yearbook again and points to a photo, the only child who is not a carbon copy of every other child. They see the name and realize it's her Charlotte. They decide they need to orchestrate a familiar scenario to get Charlotte to speak to them, hoping they can wake her up the way Miss Evangelista woke them up. Suddenly they find themselves in the school's gym. Mr. Lux and the doctor are sat in front of other Dave and Charlotte. Deciding they need to play along for a bit, and noting River's absence from this part of the simulation, the doctor and Mr. Lux start slipping buzzwords into their conversation with Dave and Charlotte. Other Dave soon wakes up and recognizes them, however Charlotte notices what's going on and starts to become agitated. Realizing this, the doctor gives Lux and Dave a warning look and switches back into normalized conversation. Suddenly, Lux and the doctor find themselves back in Miss Evangelista's shop with River. Miss Evangelista explains that Charlotte cannot be woken up in the same way as she spent a whole century asleep, and worse still, she's being kept in sleep mode by some sort of virus checker. Lux recognizes this to be Dr. Moon, the AI virus checker. The doctor and River realize if they want to return to the library and confront the Vashta Narada, they need Dr. Moon to wake Charlotte up. They ask Mr. Lux, how do they make Dr. Moon appear? He explains that Dr. Moon keeps Charlotte and the 4022 occupants of the data core calm when experiencing distress. The doctor was an idea, the others back with him to the school. There they wake up Anita and head to the doctor's classroom. There, they set off the school fire alarms by using Bunsen burners to set the room alight. Suddenly, they find themselves in the school playground, surrounded by the NPC children, they see Dor Moon standing a little away from them. They all approach him and he calmly reprimands them for disturbing the peace in the data core. They explain to him that they have a plan to save everyone here from the shadows but they need Charlotte to release them, in order for them to do that.
Dr. Moon resists, but when that argue that Charlotte's well-being will be further harmed as more expeditions will keep coming, the library was breached once, it can be breached again. After hearing this Dr. Moon agrees, and takes them to Charlotte. Unfortunately when they arrive Charlotte is in the midst of a meltdown, with Dave, her surrogate father, unable to get through to her. Dr. Moon overrides her firewall and puts her to sleep, rebooting her. As he does so, he receives a system diagnostics report which tells him that the data core has very little memory space left. Hearing this, the doctor begins to formulate a plan to boost Charlotte's memory from the main control node. Once Charlotte is awake, she starts showing signs of discomfort, as she's aware of all the minds chatting away inside her own. Charlotte puts everyone in the data core to sleep, barring the doctor and the expedition, relieving her somewhat of the burden. The doctor then explains that he can intimidate the Vashta Narada long enough to evacuate everyone, if Charlotte loads the history of the time war into the possessed spacesuit's neural relays. Charlotte agrees, but only agrees to send River and the doctor to the main control node, so as to keep the others safe. The doctor and River agree, and they are sent back, a white light surrounds them, and suddenly, they are standing back in the library in a part they hadn't seen before, the data core control hub they. See a node with Charlotte's face loaded onto the interface screen. The doctor then, takes an intercom from the head librarian's desk, ignoring the skeleton of the poor fellow and announces to the Vashta Narada. He is the Doctor of War, the victor of Skull Moon and the last of the Time Lords. He declares that he will burn this world if the Vashta Narada do not let the people in the data core leave. To his astonishment, every surrounding corridor, even the view from a nearby window, brightens up immediately. Every unnatural shadow is gone. River then asks the doctor how we plan to transfer 4,025 people with Charlotte's memory banks nearly full. He explains that he can connect his mind to the data core allowing Charlotte to boost her memory space by borrowing some of the doctors. River protests, knowing that this would kill him, to which the doctor replies, rather harshly, why she cared so much. It's at this point that River, knowing she needs to be careful, whispers the doctor's name in his ear. Before the doctor can ask her how she knew his name, she knocks him out. When the doctor comes to, he finds himself in handcuffs, locked to a nearby rail. He sees River wiring herself into the data core system. River then explains that she is from his personal future, an ally and close companion. She explains that the last time they saw each other, he'd given her his screwdriver and taken her to the singing. Towers of Derillium and had wept as they listened. He'd known she was about to come to the library and now River knew why we'd wept. The doctor begs River not to do this, but she insists, demanding that he keeps their future, their wonderful adventures to come, intact. River then turns to Charlotte's node telling her to commence the transfer program. The doctor, realizing just how important River will be to his future self, watches mournfully as River's body disintegrates. Suddenly, Mr. Lux, Dave and Anita find themselves and thousands of other people back in the library, with the lights all working normally. Around them, nodes are giving out instructions for them all to use every available teleport to evacuate the library. Back at the data core, Charlotte's node beeps and tells the doctor of information available, you gave her the screwdriver, knowing she'd die here, why do that? Why would the doctor do that? This jolts the doctor's attention and he gets out of the cuffs. He reaches for River's bag and finds her sonic screwdriver. Seeing it has a side panel, he opens it to reveal a data ghost neural relay built into the device he rushes over to an access port and shines the sonic into the, the now memory abundant, data core, 
which receives the upload along with a software patch for its operating system. Charlotte's node smiles at the doctor, who smiles back. Back in the data core world River finds herself standing back in the town square. She's met by Charlotte and Dr. Moon, who reveal that the doctor saved her as a data ghost into the library, and repaired the core software allowing her to be perfectly reconstituted in digital form. They also reveal that Miss Evangelista was restored and the two are helped to settle into their new lives by Dr. Moon and Charlotte. Back in the library the doctor leaves River's diary and screwdriver, feeling the sting of loss once more, and something else. The same feeling he felt when he let Luke destroy the Sontrans, bloodlust. That same feeling of being that ruthless general, who ended the time war. He'd used that rage to get the Vashta Narada to back down. And more people are alive because of it. The doctor muses this notion for a while, as he makes his way back to the Tardis. That he, the Time Lord Victorious, won today by being ruthless. And that brings us to the end of the scenario. Here we see a very different equation to get the same result, with the doctor himself facing the data core simulated world and being woken up by Miss Evangelista. And just like in the original timeline, he used his dark side to intimidate the Vashta Narada, but given what he's experienced and how his perspective has changed without Donna tapping into this. Darkness will have a much more profound effect on the doctor's psyche in this alternate universe, the further and further its timeline deviates from the original. Especially now that he knows that he has just witnessed the death of someone so close to his future self that he would tell her his name, that's another battle he's won at the expense of losing a close relationship. And it won't be the last either. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a like and share with your friends. You can also listen to extracts from our podcast on our TikTok and Instagram pages at Tardisian Files Podcasts. You can also join our Reddit community at Tardisian Files Podcast and put forward suggestions for future episodes. And as always, see you next time on Tardisian Files.